Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chapter 14. Fetish continued. Of travels in West Africa. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Travels in West Africa by Mary H. Kingsley Chapter 14 Fetish Continued In which the voyager discourses on the legal methods of natives of this country, the ideas governing forms of burial, of their manner of mourning for their dead, and the condition of the African soul in the underworld. Great as are the incidental miseries and dangers surrounding death to all the people in the village in which a death occurs, undoubtedly those who suffer most are the widows of a chief or free man. The uniform custom among both Negroes and Bantu is that those who escape execution on the charge of having witched the husband to death shall remain in a state of filth and abasement not even removing vermin from themselves until after the soul-burial is complete, the soul of the dead man being regarded as hanging about them and liable to be injured. Therefore, also to the end of preventing his soul from getting damaged, they are confined to their huts. This latter restriction is not rigidly enforced, but is held theoretically to be the correct thing. They maintain the attitude of grief and abasement, sitting on the ground, eating but little food and that of a coarse kind. In Calabar, their legal rights over property, such as slaves, are meanwhile considerably in abeyance, and they are put to great expense during the time the spirit is awaiting burial. They have to keep watch, two at a time, in the hut where the body is buried, keeping lights burning, and they have to pay out of their separate estate for the entertainment of all the friends of the deceased, who come to pay him compliment, and if he has been an important man, a big man, the whole district will come, not in a squadron, but just when it suits them, exactly as if they were calling on a live friend. Thus it often happens that even a big woman is bankrupt by the expense. I will not go into the legal bearings of the case here, for they are intricate, and, to a great extent, only interesting to a student of Negro law. The Bantu women occupy a far inferior position in regard to the rights of property to that held by the Negro women. The disposal of wives after the death of the husband among the Mpongwe and Igalwa is a subject full of interest, but it is, like most of their law, very complicated. 
The brothers of the deceased are supposed to take them. The younger brother may not marry the elder brother's widows, but the elder brothers may marry those of the younger brother. Should any of the women object to the arrangement, they may leave the family. I own that the ground principle of African law practically is the simple plan that they should take who have the power, and they should keep who can, and this tells particularly against women and children who have not got living, powerful relations of their own. Unless the children of a man are grown up and sufficiently powerful on their own account, they have little chance of sharing in the distribution of his estate. But in spite of this abuse of power, there is among Negroes and Bantus a definite and acknowledged law, to which an appeal can be made by persons of all classes, provided they have the wherewithal to set the machinery of it in motion. The difficulty the children and widows have in sharing in the distribution of the estate of the father and husband arises, I fancy, in the principle of the husband's brothers being the true heir, which has sunk into a fossilized state near the trading stations in the face of the white culture. The reason for this inheritance of goods passing from the man to his brother by the same mother has no doubt for one of its origins the recognition of the fact that the brother by the same mother must be a near relation, whereas in spite of the strict laws against adultery, the relationship to you of the children born of your wives is not so certain. Nevertheless, this is one of the obvious and easy explanations for things it is well to exercise great care before accepting, for you must always remember that the African mind does not run on identical lines with the European. What may be self-evident to you is not so to him, and vice versa. I have heard many African metaphysicians complain that white men make great jumps in their thought course, and do not follow an idea step by step. You soon become conscious of the careful way a negro follows his idea. Certain customs of his you can, by the exercise of great patience, trace back in a perfectly smooth line from their source in some natural phenomenon. Others, of course, you cannot, the traces of the intervening steps of the idea having been lost, owing partly to the veneration in which old customs are held, which causes them to regard the fact that their fathers had this fashion as reason enough for their having it, and above all to the total absence of all but oral tradition. But so great a faith have I in the lack of inventive power in the African, that I feel sure all their customs, had we the material that has slipped down into the great swamp of time, could be traced back either, as I have said, to some natural phenomenon, or to the thing being advisable for reasons of utility. The uncertainty in the parentage of offspring may seem to be such a utilitarian underlying principle, but, on the other hand, it does not sufficiently explain the varied forms of the law of inheritance, for in some tribes the eldest or most influential son does succeed to his father's wealth. In other places you have the peculiar custom of the chief slave inheriting. I think from these things that the underlying idea in inheritance of property is the desire to keep the wealth of the house, i.e. estate, together, and if it were allowed to pass into the hands of weak people, like women and young children, this would not be done. Another strong argument against the theory that it arises from the doubtful relationship of the son 
is that certain juju always go to the son of the chief wife if he is old enough at the time of the father's death, even in those tribes where the wealth goes elsewhere. Certain tribes acknowledge the right of the women and children to share in the dead man's wealth, given that these are legally married wives or the children of legally married wives. It is so in Cameroons, for example. An esteemed friend of mine who helps to manage things for the fatherland down there was trying a palaver the other day with a patience peculiar to him, and that intelligent and elaborate care, I should think, only a mind trained on the methods of German metaphysicians could impart into that most wearisome of proceedings, wherein everyone says the same thing over fourteen different times at least, with a similar voice and gesture, the only variation being in the statements regarding the important points and the facts of the case, these varying with each individual. This palaver was made by a son claiming to inherit part of his father's property. At last, to the astonishment and, of course, the horror of the learned judge, the defendant, the wicked uncle, pleaded through the interpreter, this man cannot inherit his father's property because his parents marry for love. There is no encouragement to foolishness of this kind in Cameroon, where legal marriage consists in purchase. In Bonnie River and in Opobo, the inheritance of the house is settled primarily by a vote of the free men of the house. When the chief dies, their choice has to be ratified by the other chiefs of houses. But in Boni and Opobo, the white traders have had immense influence for a long time, so one cannot now find out how far this custom is purely native in idea. Among the fans, the uncle is, as I have before said, an important person, although the father has more rights than among the Galwa, and here I came across a peculiar custom regarding widows. M. Jacot cited to me a similar case or so, one of which, I must remark, was in an Ajumba town. The widows were inside the dead husband's hut, as usual. The fan huts are stoutly built of sheets of flattened bark, firmly secured together with bark rope and thatched. They never build them in any other way except when they are in the bush rubber collecting, or elephant hunting when they make them of the branches of trees. Well, round the bark hut, with the windows inside, there was erected a hut made of branches, and when this was nearly completed, the fans commenced pulling down the inner bark hut, and finally cleared it right out, thatch and all, and the materials of which it had been made were burnt. I was struck with the performance because the fans, though surrounded by intensely superstitious tribes, are remarkably free from superstition themselves, taking little or no interest in speculative matters, except to get charms to make them invisible to elephants, to keep their feet in the path, to enable them to see things in the forest, and practical things of that sort, and these charms they frequently gave me to assist and guard me in my wanderings. The Mpongwe and Nigalwa have a peculiar funeral custom, but it is not confined in its operation to widows, all the near relatives sharing in it. The mourning relations are seated on the floor of the house, and some friend, Dr. Nassau, told me 